it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have a good friend of ours. Uh, Braden Dennis is joining us today from Stratosphere Investing, one of my favorite new websites, as well as the Canadian Investor Podcast, which is, I believe, the number one podcast in investing and business in Canada. Am I correct on that? That is correct. We've been number one in the investing category for a couple months now, but newly uh, number one in business as well truly never thought any of this was possible, but uh, I'm glad people like it. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a, one of my favorite shows. It's actually the the first thing I listen to every week when, or, well, you got two episodes a week now. So I listen to, that's the first thing I listen to every morning. So it's Appreciate it's a great that. show. Yeah, no, it's it's a great show. I'm not just saying that because I like you. It's <laughs> I, I, I really do enjoy the show. All right. So Braden is here to talk to us about kind of what's going on in the markets. And maybe we could talk through some ideas, some of the things that we've seen going on over the last couple months and how investors can deal with all the volatility and craziness that's been going on lately. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys have been seeing and how you guys have been handling some of this? Yeah, Dave, Andrew, by the way, uh, thanks for doing this again. I know we try to do this on a regular basis and it's always fun hanging out with you guys. I like hanging out with you guys. So recently, you know, it's no secret, you know, this is breaking news. Uh, The market is in a pretty much correction territory across the entire market at this point. And some stuff the stuff that was really winning for the last two years, the, the trade and the momentum that was working over the last two years is not working anymore. And the perfect way to track that index of stuff that's really not working right now is the ARK Innovation ETF is like a perfect proxy for the destruction in unprofitable speculative innovation. Now, that's not to say that there might be a lot not a lot of interesting companies in there. I think that there are. It's just really the fact that oh wait, yes, valuation mattered this whole time. Of course it did. And so eventually on a long-term basis, stocks follow business results. 
And that's all it's ever done. And that's all it's ever going to do on a long enough time frame is follow business results. And so at the end of the day, if you have a, a bunch of assets trading at prices that don't make sense, eventually they come back down to life. Now, that's not to say there aren't some fantastic companies. And we were talking about this earlier where let's use an example of something that I finally bought. You know, I host the Canadian Investor Podcast and I didn't own any Shopify. It's like, <laughs> that should be a sin, right? You should be kicked out of the country, right? Yeah, yeah. Like they should have deported me a long time ago. <laughs> and I just, I have a rule. I can't buy something that trades at 60 times sales. I don't care how great of a business it is. And I'm not some like, you know, extreme value investor. I'd say I'm more of like a growth at a reasonable price investor. And, you know, it took a 50% haircut for one of the best businesses around today, led by one of the greatest entrepreneurs. I'm willing to to enter and, and buy some shares. But I think at the end of the day, we need to remember that we're looking to buy and hold great businesses for a long time, five plus, 10 plus, in my case, 20 plus years. If you are a new investor or you manage your money, you don't have to listen to short-termism that exists out there because the market is very short-term. I like to think that it operates about one to two years ahead looking out. Your edge is that you can look further out. I'm not just saying this to like be all stoic. I'm saying this because that's how you make money in the stock market yeah. is actually thinking like that. It's not because, oh, I think you know you guys need to Think about the long term. It's just, no, the reality is, is that was you zoom out, you think in a little bit of a longer time horizon, and I guarantee the compounding will blow your mind. I agree with that. And I think the thing that is illustrated by that idea is how many of these short-term investors are famous for very long. You think about some of the guys, some of the people that have had the greatest returns, have earned the most wealth in the market, have all been long-term investors. And even guys that fall into the growth camp like Terry Smith and Chuck Aker, these guys have been doing this for 50 years and they've been Mm -hmm. investing in these companies for very long periods of time. They're not buying the latest, greatest, hottest thing and then flipping it You know, a year from now. They're buying companies and sitting on them for decades. Like, How long does Chuck Aker own American Tower? It's what, 20 oh, years? Oh, God. His you know, cost basis yeah. on American Tower is it's like $2 or despicable, something. Despicable, yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. gross. But he, you know, he just owned it forever. But that's how you do it. We talked about this, I think, a, a podcast or two ago that Warren Buffett, you know, on his shareholder letters, the first page is his compounded annual return since he took over Berkshire and it's like 20% for 56 years or something crazy like that. And so it it makes me kind of chuckle whenever the new Warren Buffett comes along that the media anoints as the next person and Mm -hmm. six months, a year from now they're broke or, you know, their portfolio is in tank and their whole idea of how they invest is discredited. So, you know, it is boring. It's not sexy. But yeah, like you're saying, you know, Braden, buying for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and trying to hold on for a long period of time, that's the way to do it. Historically, Dave, every time someone discredits or doesn't give Buffett and Charlie Munger the respect they deserve, it's probably a good time to buy Berkshire Hathaway stock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you on a fear greed spectrum mm-hmm. or like some sort of index of tracking people <laughs> dunking on the greatest to ever do it, it's probably a good time to act as a contrarian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. 
And they have been one of those stocks that's actually done really well over the past 12 months when it seems like all the headlines are saying that the market's in the toilet now. You're getting an interesting environment where there are a lot of great businesses, particularly in even the last several days, that have posted incredible results. And yet there's not much attention on it just because a lot of other stocks are moving around so much. It's almost like some of these great businesses are going under the radar. The Microsoft print was what really characterized <laughs> yeah. what you're talking about perfectly. It's like they, they guided for $51 billion in top line, and they only beat it by $1 billion. It's like, come on. Like, what is – you know, we're used to you smashing this like 20% on every metric. You know, you usually guide for – x on the commercial cloud and we wanted x plus 20 like come on i thought that that was a perfect characterization of what's going on right now and it characterizes it perfectly which is in the short term stocks move on factors stocks move on momentum they don't move on fundamentals even in the you know anything under six months stocks don't move on fundamentals they move on factors and they move on momentum Momentum is a hell of a drug in the stock market. The benefit and the good thing for you know guys like us is that it just doesn't matter over a long period of time. You know, as soon as you go out into multiple years, not just a few quarters, business results are the ones that matter, and they're the only ones worth paying attention to, in my personal opinion. I would totally agree with that. And when you talk about MasterCard, you know, Visa and, and MasterCard, Microsoft and Apple reported, I believe after hours today, I haven't had a chance to look at their results, but three of those four companies had great quarters. And you know, like you said, the stock market really didn't notice much. Yeah. So the Mr. Market analogy from all the writings of the intelligent investor are perfect. Now, my hot take is that the rest of that book sucks. I, I know it's a flaming <laughs> hot take and I'm going to get screamed at. I'm going to get DMs. It's going to be terrible. But the beginning of that book and the conceptual about how, you know, in the short term, the market's completely random and it's bipolar man who's just like, ah, you know, recency bias, short termism. That's must read material. And it's completely true. So if you rewind the clock, you guys know every time I come on this podcast, I talk about how much I like the payment rails. I think that they're just, you know, operating margins of 70%. Yup, I'll take some of those. <laughs> Six months ago, people were coming out and saying, they're dead. They're dead. You know, they're left for dead. They're There's buy now, pay later. By the way, that adds more volume on credit cards. But again, this is four that's payments. Too much logic. That's too four, much logic. Four, Four payments going over Visa's rails as opposed to one. I mean, gee. Yeah, <laughs> seems, seems all right to me. And uh, yeah, they're left for dead. Uh, you know, the entire banking system is going to collapse. And, you know, we're going to be using Bitcoin and Ethereum to do all our transactions it, like tomorrow. That's what the sentiment was. And last time I checked, MasterCard just reported today, uh, like as of recording today, revenue is up 28%. Net income was up 36%. Cross-border transactions are killing it. Operating margins are through the roof. And clearly that's the real fundamentals of what's happening, what the street's saying and what's happening with the business don't align. And I'm okay with that. That's our advantage, right? That is completely 
our advantage in the long run. So it's not to say that I don't think like a decentralized crypto or Bitcoin or Ethereum, I own both of them, by the way. And I think that paying attention to crypto, I'll say it this way. I think not paying attention to it is stupid at the begin, at the minimum. I'm not saying you have to own any of it, but I think not paying attention to it would be dumb. I think even if it goes nowhere, paying attention to these kinds of disruptive technologies and being an early adopter on some things and having an open mind, I think is probably the way to go because people way, way, way smarter than me are very interested in it. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. It really reminds me of like the dot-com bubble and bust where there was a lot of excitement about it. And the truth of the matter was there were huge winners that came out of that. And the people who were able to pay attention and, and get in as an early adopter, they made incredible amounts of money. And so there is a way that you can win with that. And But there's also a way where you don't necessarily have to. And that's, I think, the beauty of some of the, the craziness in the stock market is there's lots of ways to make money if you can figure out you know, where your advantage is. Yeah, if you go back to the dot-com or 
you go to any new disruptive technology that does have the chance of really being a game changer, there's a classic stages of adoption, right? There's like the hype curve and then the valley of despair where it's like, is this even going to work? And then it comes out the other side to some sort of steady state where the technology is going to actually live, exist, and thrive, and then continue to grow from there. Every single time and time again, every single disruptive technology that humans have ever come up with has a very similar trajectory with some sort of hype cycle. And in that hype cycle, all kinds of things come along, including lots of charlatans. So be very careful in the in the crypto space if you're listening to that. In that hype cycle, you're going to realize that there's going to be a lot more losers than winners because a lot of garbage comes up. You have to laser focus on quality. And at that point, you know, focus on businesses that are legit and really high quality and not in some hype cycle. Like the EV stuff makes no sense to me. And this is coming from someone who worked in renewable power for a really long time. I used to work in auto manufacturing when I was in engineering school the whole time. I worked there five summers in a row on the plant floor doing engineering stuff, sometimes like gritty stuff in auto manufacturing. The truth about auto manufacturing is that the margins are terrible. The margins are horrendous and there's a lot of competition. I don't see how some electric vehicle gets around those unit economics. And I could be wrong. I'm wrong about so much stuff. It's ridiculous. I don't see it personally. And although I do think that we need to decarbonize heavily, including the transportation sector, it's incredibly important. I'm a huge believer in that. But to strap on multiples that don't make sense just because it's a new and disruptive technology when the unit economics are largely the same is a recipe for disaster for investors. And that's just the way I think about it. But I mean, a lot of them have been huge winners, so maybe I'll be, maybe I'll continue to be wrong. I'm not sure. I like that you brought that point up because I think it makes for an interesting idea where it appears to me that you've done some work in that space and have tried to find good investments. I know I have in that space and it's just been impossible. And, you know, not to say that, again, you can't make money in that space, but for the type of investing I do, I haven't been able to find anything. So, if that's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, if that's the case for you, how do you differentiate between disruptive technology you can get behind and disruptive technology where you say, you know what, these are a little bit out of my realm of like good investing? Yeah, well, in the example of the EV space and kind of like charging companies that have come out of it or the the new electric vehicle startups, you see Rivian IPO at over $100 billion based on a couple of PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> And this is just the definition of insanity. It really is. So if I look at something like that, and I know how hard building manufacturing capacity is. By the way, Tesla is a complete outlier. You have to give them the credit they deserve for the execution because building capacity for manufacturing is very difficult to actually pull off. Mm -hmm. So if I look at some of the ideas out there in that space, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, it's $100 billion in market cap. There's no risk-adjusted return for me at all. Like risk-adjusted, it's zero. Like it's negative. 
And so I don't see where you actually make money on some of this stuff. Now, maybe the momentum trade keeps going on. Like we talked about, you know, this momentum is a hell of a drug, but it, it goes back to my initial talking points, which is over the long term, it'll follow business fundamentals and valuations matter. So it's just not an investable idea for me. I have kind of like a six point checklist that we have on our website for what could be an investable idea. And those fit none of them, like <laughs> zero for six. Like, it's like no chance. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. You know, I started trying to do a little bit of work with the renewable sector and I have had a really, really hard time finding something that's investable. You know, when you look at some of the breakthrough technologies that are out there, you think about some of the solar and some of those kinds of things, you run into, you start running into either complete overvaluations, unprofitable companies, uh, hot, you know, pie in the sky kind of valuations, or you start running into more, I guess, realistic problems. Like there's not, you struggle to find battery capacity. So the way that the solar panels work, they produce so much electricity, but when they're producing it is not when we actually need it. And so there's just so many logistical problems at this point that it just makes it really hard. And then you start looking at utilities and like Andrew said to me the other day, they're all negative cash flow. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And it, I mean, he's right. It's, it's just hard to find some of those things sometimes. That's, you know, that's my struggle. And like you said earlier about competition is going to rise up. That's always been my concern with Tesla is that there's no doubt it's a great car. And it's a, there's no doubt that they've done a fantastic job of marketing the car, marketing the company, pushing everything out there that they're trying to do. But the blunt fact of the matter is, is that companies like Volkswagen, Tesla, GM, Ford, they're all coming for them. And is Tesla going to be able to hang with them? I don't know. I mean, that's the $24 question. So I hear what you're saying. I think they will. I think they will. And I think they're going to win. Like I'm actually a believer in it, even though I sound like such a bear. I'm just not a believer that I can make money when it trades for 800 billion in market cap. <laughs> That's the thing that doesn't, that I can't get behind, you know, because right. it was over, what was it? Over a hundred, over a trillion uh, yeah, oh, market yeah. cap. Yeah. yeah it reached ago. over a trillion in market cap. So if the bull case pans out for a company like Tesla, that all the, the bulls will say, which is like this, you know, driverless car experience, which then disrupts other markets because you require in that thesis for it to have a much larger total addressable market than just the consumer auto market, right? It has to. If we're going to take out on, Uber, they'd have to take out Lyft, take right. out anything ancillary to that. Yeah. FedEx, UPS, all those places. Right. And so I'm not here to say that that's not going to happen. I mean, if someone's going to do it, given you know their execution, their tech, it could be them. But rule number one is don't lose money in this game. <laughs> and I see myself probably losing money at something trading for a trillion in market cap when you can buy Amazon trading for you know what one and a half trillion and is you know doing ridiculous monster free cash flow numbers mm. on the AWS business. You look at the advertising business, you look at the third party business, you look at the prime subscription, you know, the, the core retail business, you put all that together and, you know, on a gap basis, it tricks you into thinking it's not making a lot of cash flow. Trust me, it is. <laughs> and now they're spending all this CapEx to build out all that infrastructure. I just, if that's my hurdle rate, you know, wh what am I doing in something that's, you know, 
really difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make this game easy on myself because investing is hard to do for a really long time and hard to do it well for a really long time. I'm not trying to make it difficult for myself. So I talk about Tesla and people come off the wrong way that, that, that I somehow don't like the cars. <laughs> I love the cars, <laughs> you know, like let's not get it twisted, but at a trillion in market cap, I'm trying to make money. You know, you bar- you bring up Amazon and Tesla. That's such a good example again, because Amazon is everything that Tesla is now was what Amazon was back during the dot-com boom. They said Amazon was going to take over the world. You know, they did. <laughs> but, you know, people... But it took 21 years from that point, right? 21 yeah, years, yeah. plus however much the stock drew down, I think it was like 80% or 90% or 95%. Yeah. yeah. Once the hype dies down, the stock trades to something more reasonable. Now you can start to see really great profits from investing in something like that. And I think you could throw around like, oh, minus ninety percent or minus ninety five percent, and and people don't really understand that unless they've gone through it. Like Ooh, if you hurts. draw down eighty percent or ninety percent, the stock price gets cut in half like four times. <laughs> And, and it doesn't make sense. And it's not logical because that's not the way we understand mathematics and percentages. But that's literally what happens. So you see your money get cut in half and then again, and then again, and then again. And then compare that to maybe the rest of the market, which maybe got their money cut in half once. And that's the danger in investing all in innovation and forgetting about valuation. Yeah, you bring up some interesting points, especially just like one losing money sucks because the returns required to break even are not working in your favor. They're absolutely not working in your favor. And for new investors coming in, I mean, this is the Investing for Beginners podcast, the allure of quick money and like it's I hear this all the time. It's okay. Like I'm just putting in something I can lose. Like the stock market, some sort of gambling casino. It's not. It's really not. It is access. It's actually the most democratic system that has ever been created, in my opinion, which is the fact that the everyday person with no friction, with essentially zero capital requirements, can participate in the future cash flows of the greatest corporations on this planet. And in this case, in your country as well. So it's ridiculous to even think that it wouldn't be. Yeah, those are some great points. You know, How can investors learn from what's going on and how can they deal with it and maybe even find opportunity in it with all the volatility going around today? So volatility is the only normal thing that exists. And if you are new to the market, It might seem like the sky is falling when the most, the number of brokerage accounts that was open for self directed investors, retail investors over the last two years is shattering all the numbers previously by like a long shot off the scale. So, the reality is, is that there are a lot of people right now, unless they were investing in 2019 and then into March when they saw, holy crap. Stocks can lose 25% of their value in one week unless you were there for that or unless you've been for you know maybe correction in December 2018. That one was pretty quick and nasty. The reality is, is that over a long enough time horizon, every single correction was a good time to buy 
stocks for the most part. And when I say stocks, I just mean like the indices because there could always be some dog that you purchase that goes bankrupt or doesn't pan out or you paid too high a multiple. And you know, there, there's always a way for you to, to fail picking individual stocks and you will. That's okay. It's totally normal. Not everyone bats a thousand, not even the best people to do this business. Like we just mm-hmm. talking about Buffett. Buffett's made some mistakes. IBM. He's still the greatest of all time, right? And so recognize that you will make some mistakes. When I mean that it's always been a good time to invest in pretty much every correction ever is the reality is, is that the market continues to improve in terms of its overall value. And the reason that it does that is because the businesses that are inside of that index, these are real businesses. It's not some imaginary basket of tickers that go across on Wall Street and go, oh, you know, the Dow's up 300, 400 points. Like that literally means nothing. If you ever hear the market quoted in Dow points, turn it off, turn it <laughs> off. It's, it's done. I'm not interested. The reality is, is that the, the businesses that are inside of the market today are producing earnings and cash flow. They're getting better. They're getting stronger over time. And that happens year over year, decade over decade. So every time you see volatility in the market, if you can think like a contrarian and buy when there's some blood on the streets in high quality businesses, don't be messing around with some garbage. Don't be buying some penny stock just because it's a cheap on a unit bias. It's really a waste of time. If you can think about what are the greatest companies out there buy them and hold them for a long time and track their actual business fundamental performance. Even if it's just starting tracking their revenue, tracking their net income, tracking you know a metric that makes sense for them. If you're looking, investing in Spotify, the music platform, track monthly active users. It's on their press release at the very top. It is the very first number that they post in Spotify's quarterly results every single quarter. And you don't have to get more complicated than that at first, but investing in good businesses when the market is down has worked every time. Every single time it's worked. Yeah. Amen, brother. That's the way to do it. And for whatever reason, the stock market is the only place when things go on sale that people run. Everything else, if we were going to go buy a Tesla and they were offering it to us for $40,000 cheaper than it was on the showroom two weeks ago, we'd all jump at it. But for some reason with the stock market, that's when the the fear seems to take over. And I understand that psychologically, we feel a loss, I think, twice as much as we do a win. And so when we see that our portfolio is going down or we see the companies that we're interested in buying are going down, then we get afraid. But like you said, if you're buying a company now, whatever company it may be, if it's a strong business whatever that may be, then you're just buying it at a discount. And eventually it's going to rebound and go past that. And you're going to be like, I'm the smartest guy ever or person ever. When the market is in correction territory and sentiment for the market is lower than usual, like I would say right now as recording, it's usually a good time to invest aggressively, historically. And back to what you're saying, I mean, you can just dollar cost average, right? Like it's so easy to just continue to dollar cost average as a self-directed investor. Like there's no one you have to answer to. This is your greatest edge. And so people always ask me like, what do you do? Like, how do you do this in your own portfolio? And my strategy is so ridiculous. You want to know what it is? 
I buy stocks on the first Tuesday of every month. Why? Because <laughs> they're looking at me like, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's no real science to it other than the fact that I used to do it on Mondays, the first Monday of every month. You know, that makes a lot of sense, you know, picking a regular occurrence. Monday's a business day. Turns out the market's closed a lot of Mondays uh, <laughs> historically. So I was like, okay, we'll do it on Tuesdays. Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. And so in a time like this, like you said, when stocks go on sale and everyone's worried, I'm sticking to my plan and I'm doing, I'm going to get much better value on some of the positions I own. You know, if I, I was buying shares at 150, the business just reported earnings. Like I said, I'm using random arbitrary stock prices right now, but say the share traded for $150 at the end of last year. By the way, we're recording in January, so it's still <laughs> relatively close to the end of last year. And MasterCard saves, you know, X dollar amount. It's fallen 30% in, you know, some time frame. And then this month I contribute to it. The business has increased its revenue by 28% since this time, since the fourth quarter of 2020. The business has gotten stronger. Cross-border transactions are coming back. Earnings per share is going through the roof. They're buying back stock like you wouldn't believe. They're investing in the business. You know, margins are incredible. And I'm getting a better deal on the merchandise that I'm buying. Like like Warren Buffett says, they buy stocks like they buy socks <laughs> when merchandise is marked down. Yeah. It's the same. It's a very similar thing. But with humans, they're very emotionally driven. That's just the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you got to feel with the humans. Yeah. I guess you yeah. know, we're all, we're all human. in that category. <laughs> and it is tough because... You know, you mentioned the Visa example at the very beginning of the show where there's all these fears that pop up of, you know, crypto is going to take over Visa, buy now, pay later is going to take over Visa. All these fears that when the stock price is going down, now all of a sudden these things that people just kind of thought, now they become amplified and it's almost like a megaphone on all of these concerns. And so that's kind of where a service like yours, where you break down like what business does so people actually understand Mm -hmm. and can get past all the noise and feel the conviction to be like you know what the stock price is going down but i know why the business is strong because either i've done the research or somebody's done the research for me to show me that yeah there are some risks but the business is able to overcome them this is how they do it and this is why you put more into the market even when other you know less convicted investors are running for the exits. You touched on an important point there, which is knowing the business, right? That is critical in a drawdown. If you buy some shares in a company and you don't understand it well, when the share price is in decline, you are going to think that the market knows something that you do not. And many times that's just not the case. Like right now, the, the whole market's in a widespread drawdown. So, you know, this is this could be your opportunity. But if you don't know the business, how are you supposed to decipher that? Right? Like, how are you supposed to know that? We talked about Amazon before. Amazon's been a nothing for the past year and a half on a share price basis. You know, Shopify has lost 50, 50 percent of its value in the last three months. Mm-hmm. It's been cut in half for a business that's growing extremely fast. I mean, 
valuation matters and the multiples got stretched. And so it's getting absolutely hammered more than the rest of the market is. But if, if you didn't know what Shopify even is, I feel like most people know like roughly what the business is now at this point. But if you didn't and you own shares, you've seen your investment get cut in half. That sucks, especially when you don't know what the business is. So if you do know it well, you'll go, okay, um, I'm going to buy some more Shopify. They just did more gross merchandise volume than they did like three years ago by like 40X. Like it's ridiculous. And so I I think that that you've touched on an important point there, which is you have to know the business all the time, but in a drawdown, it's particularly important or else you might do something that might not make a whole lot of sense. So at Stratosphere, like my company, what we do is we cover about 50 companies and we write these primers for our members that basically say what the business does. And, you know, it doesn't talk a whole lot about the real intricacies of the return on invested capital. You know, it doesn't talk about, you know, the the DCF model that's being run in the background. Like it it doesn't touch on that stuff because the reality is, is that the important part is understanding the business. (laughs) Like you have to know the business before you do anything else. And so I, I think that that's why we arrived at what we do. And I think that people get value from that. During this type of time, you have to be able to act rationally. But if you don't equip yourself with the right knowledge to act rationally, then it's very hard to do. It's very hard to do. And I agree with what you're saying. And your company's service is awesome. I know that I've read some of the reports and they've been very helpful for me to understand how some of the businesses, I remember not too long ago, I reached out to you because I was, I had some questions about a particular company and you shared with me one of the reports. I think you were asking about Brookfield. Yeah, Yeah. it was. Yeah. Brookfield Asset Management. And it helped a lot because trying to read, honestly, when I tried to read through their 300 page annual report, it was a bit of a challenge and uh, some of it was a little confusing to me. So it was helpful to have that that breakdown to help me understand. And I love your analogy of Shopify and how the market has punished the company, even though their business performance has increased by fourfold. And it highlights the fact that sometimes the market is separated from the reality of what's actually going on with a business. That's where having some of the business fundamentals and understanding some of those can really be helpful during these periods. The market on the short term, like we said before, acts on mostly factor rotation mm-hmm. and sentiment. So there's a big factor rotation right now from growth to value. And so that's when, so growth is getting hammered. And I look at that and I go, there's some really high quality names in growth. And I think that, you know, some of the best businesses are sitting there today. The ones that are going to be more important, more profitable, demand more market share, have better branding, all of those things in the future that some of these companies possess. Now, some of them are not great. Some of them are extremely high quality, like the Shopify example. So yeah, that's a good point, Dave. Yeah. Uh, what do you think investors should do in a five second spot? <laughs> How can in they- Five work? seconds, okay. Yeah, five, five seconds. Like Andrew likes to say, tell me like I'm five. How can a, a beginning investor learn some fundamentals about a business and how can that help them through a period like this? Yeah, it's a great question. What do you do right now? What do you do in a drawdown? What I will say- what I won't do is wait. There's an old adage about catching falling knives. Don't catch a falling knife. Like, oh, no, you know, wait till the market bottoms out. If you can correctly tell me the trading <laughs> day that the market bottoms out, 
I'll buy you a beer. Like I'll buy you. We're going to Vegas. Yeah, yeah. You're coming with me, and we're going to Vegas. And so I say, you know, I have a counterpoint. I say you got to catch falling knives. And I know that if I put fresh capital in today, the market could go down another ten percent. Absolutely, absolutely, it could. Some of my positions could get absolutely cut in half from here. I own like Unity, the gaming engine. I think it's one of the coolest companies in the world. Trades at nosebleed, face ripping valuations that like make me feel a little uncomfortable, even after how much it's fallen. If I buy more shares, you know, went from 180 to 90 in like a month and a half. <laughs> if I buy more shares because I believe in the company long term, which I absolutely do, I could still get wrecked in the next month and a half, right? Mm-hmm. I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with that. And this relates back, you know, to knowing the business, but. You cannot predict a market bottom. It is literally impossible. So you want to deploy money during drawdowns, but no, during that drawdown, you could be in the middle of it, right? And that's totally normal because it's just the reality of the game. I would agree with that. If there's a company that I really like, there's a lot of them and a lot of the payment companies that I've bought over the last year or so have gotten butchered. over the last two or three months. And to me, this means that they're cheaper now and I'm still going to buy them because the underlying fundamentals for the companies are still doing well. And you know, a little cheat sheet is when you look at, you mentioned earlier that on Stratosphere, you guys have the press releases. If you don't know anything about a company and you read the press release, the first two or three statistics that they put in the press release are the three most important things that the company believes in, whatever they may be. And if you just look at those and track those over, you can just go, you could literally go on Stratosphere and look at the last three quarters of press releases and see when those, what those revenue numbers are, the earnings numbers, or whatever metric or whatever fundamental that the company is talking about. And you can just look at those. And if you see that those are going up and the stock price is going down, chances are it's probably a stronger company and you could you know, make your decision with some other information. But I think just those simple things are an easy way to kind of start learning about kind of what's going on with a company. Yeah, I do believe that. Well, I'll say one caveat about the press releases is that Make sure year over year that they're still reporting on the same metrics. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> true. That's an important thing to yeah. track. If they change, if they start changing them, that's probably a red flag to be like, that's uh, right. y- you know. <laughs> yeah. Like my Spotify example before, right at the top, pasted mm. on every press release's monthly active users. Mm. They go, monthly active users is this number. And then they break them down and I say, which one of them are paid, which of them are ad supported. That's right. the top of their press release. Every single time. I know this because I, I read every single one that comes out. Yep. If they started saying like some weird listening time metrics or something. <laughs> right. You know, like watch, watch time on Netflix. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or like the, like Spotify are all of a sudden started doing like a number of artists on the listen platform. To, listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like number of people that shared their Spotify wrapped. Like you got to be careful. They're not moving the goalposts, but I, I do agree with that, that sentiment that, you know, even just tracking one, two metrics, that's what I do. I have my portfolio. I have beside them in a simple spreadsheet. It's very simple. Like it's not scientific at all. And I just have two KPIs that I track for each company and that's it. 
Now, like myself and my analysts for the companies we cover, we cover like usually a ton more metrics and they're all graphed out nice. But just in my own personal portfolio, that's what I do. I like keeping it simple, Dave. Dave and Angie, you guys should know how goofy and complicated the models I used to write when I was a university student for my investing, (laughs) the companies I invested in. It was ridiculous. As I have simplified my models, the results have gotten way better and have focused on what's important. I think that that's uh, one recommendation if you're building models is simple, is better. Like back of the envelope calculations are some of the best investment theses I've ever seen. It's a great recommendation and a ton of good advice for people today. I think of all levels, beginners and people who have been in the market for a while. Anytime that there's big changes in the market, it's a good opportunity to gut check yourself and you know maybe have an open mind, learn and figure out what you don't know and figure out how you can improve. So you know, I want to be respectful of your time. Where can people go to learn more about you, everything you've got going on, and some of the great resources you've talked about today? I co-host a podcast that comes out twice a week called The Canadian Investor. You can find that anywhere on your podcast app. And I founded a company called Stratosphere, which is stratosphereinvesting.com. You can also type in getstockmarket.com. It'll bring you there. I'm trying to build the platform for what I wish I had when I'm looking for stock equity research and the software tools to be able to find 10-year financial statements on a dime. I know that uh, you guys like looking at historic, longer-term historical financial statements. You know, If you go on some of the free sites out there, you'll get like three years tops. You type in quarterly and they're like, oh, you got to pay. <laughs> I don't have any of that behind a paywall. It's all completely free. So you can check that out. And yeah, on the podcast, we talk about it's called the Canadian investor because two Canadian guys do it. But I want to say like, we talk about like 50, 50, probably like 60, 40 with the U S companies as well. So I think there's something interesting for all, all skill levels, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, they're great resources. It's a great podcast. Like I said, it's one of my favorites. I listen to it, both episodes every week and I really enjoy Braden and Simon's takes on stuff. And it's, uh, there's some humor involved in there as well. So, uh, they get into some interesting conversations between the two of them. So Braden, again, thank you for taking the time to come join us tonight. Uh, we really appreciate it. It was a great conversation as always. And hopefully everybody got a lot of great takeaways from everything we were talking about. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety emphasis on the safety have a great week i'll talk to y'all next week we hope you enjoyed this content seven steps to understanding the stock market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples get access today at stockmarketpdf.com until next time have a prosperous day The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.